I'm John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. Um, I guess I could start by saying happy 2024, but uh, I guess we'll see. Uh, I, I will, look, I wish everybody can find joy, find humor, find laughter, can find pieces of a life that will allow them to, uh, to enjoy that life. Life is, is supposed to be a celebration. There's a lot of stuff working against us, and and I think we can we can get overwhelmed by it. I look for years. I've heard people say, "Oh, I'm not going to have children. I refuse to bring a child into this world." Well, that's not going to bode very well for us. I mean, I, we've got to fix things. I mean, and you know, sometimes you start small. You start in your immediate circle, uh, you know, of of friends and family and neighborhood and community and you know, nation. Uh, you know, from a native standpoint. Our nations are just, you know, large communities for the most part. You know, when you think about statehood or nationhood out there, you think about, you know, these, you know, these huge populations of millions and millions of people. But, you know, for us, we're, we still have an, a real opportunity at the micro level to insulate us from a lot of, you know, look, the, the public sentiment that's out there, the, the political unrest, the social unrest, even global conflicts. We can isolate ourselves from some of that. Stop enlisting in their armed forces is one way to do that. We, we can't isolate ourselves from, from climate change. And, and we are going to be impacted by all of the things that happens out there. But, you know, we can find ways to mitigate some of that. So, you know, that's, that's kind of what I'm going to try to be talking about a lot throughout this year. But I got to admit, um, <laughs> I've had a lot of people over the last several weeks, um, and, and actually going back farther than that, Asking me to talk specifically about Gaza, about Palestinian, you know, Palestinians and and the crisis that uh, that they're enduring, and yeah, and I've mentioned it a few times. I don't think there's been a show over the last several weeks that I haven't at least mentioned you know, something, you know, about what's happening with uh, Israel's war against Palestinians. Um, but and and I'm gonna so that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna talk about that today, and you know, maybe at, by the, at the end of the show we'll get a chance to take some calls and that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, I, I, as I labeled this show, because we are streaming on Facebook Live, and of course this show will be a podcast, it is a radio show on WPFW in Washington, D.C., and on WBAI in New York City. So there's different ways that people will, will hear this, and some of it will be live and some of it won't be live, some of it will be after the fact. But I just want to leave some thoughts with people, you know, and, and, and part of the, the thing that I try to offer is a perspective that maybe isn't being heard elsewhere. And, and maybe there's pieces of it that are heard, but as a native person who is so aware of the history that my people have endured, do endure and will endure in the face of what is still colonialism, colonialism. Look, when when I was a kid in school, they taught periods of history. Um, they, they started with Indians, (laughs) As, a, as American history, Indians, and that period of time ended with discovery, 
and then after discovery was colonialism, and then after colonialism was you know revolution, revolutionary war, and and, and go on on and on like that. The problem is much of this stuff doesn't end. I mean, there, there's no period of American history that they call imperialism. <laughs> you know, the colonialism, yeah. And then they make it sound like that ended once the United States got its independence. And, and this is the problem. This is the problem. And, you know, I oftentimes talk about siloing um, history. And, and from a Native standpoint, our issues, the issues that we talk about, get looked at almost exclusively or exclusive of anything else that's happening in the world. Or even close by, for that matter. I talked about the Osage murders being talked about when 30, 40 miles down the road, the, the, the Tulsa massacre takes place. And those conversations don't really mix. And, you know, it did get mentioned in the movie, and I may have had something to do with pressing that point. Uh, may or may not have. I mean, I certainly asked David Graham when he was on the show why there wasn't um, uh, any reference to the, the Tulsa massacre. Uh, but, I mean, look, so... So I want I cannot talk about Palestine. I cannot talk about Gaza. I cannot talk about Israel. And I certainly can't talk about genocide when it's happening to somebody else without putting it into a native perspective. So that's what I'm going to do. So let me first start start off again um, as as always I want to remind people that we are listener supported radio. So whether you're listening to this as a podcast or on Facebook, um, we are a radio show at its core, we are a radio show, and we are a radio program that is listener-supported, listener-sponsored. So if you're listening, however you're listening, in Washington on WPFW, in, uh, in New York on WBAI, whether you're listening anywhere on the planet on Facebook or if you're catching this as a podcast after the fact, I, I hope that you'll support the two stations that we're, they're on. I hope that you'll support WPFW in Washington, D.C., listener-sponsored radio, and WBAI in New York City. Again, listener-sponsored radio. We, we depend on you. So, essentially, I depend on you. Now, look, we could argue that I could do this whether I'm on the radio or not. But, look, the fact that I have a, a block of time in two major radio markets like Washington and New York City that's the driver. That's what keeps me doing this every week. Look, I, I do a podcast too. I do a podcast called Let's Talk Native. But you know what? I wait for events. I, you know, and, and not that there isn't always something to talk about, but because I'm on a radio schedule, I'm going to do a show and I'm going to, I'm going to do outreach during the week, the course of my week. I'm, I'm weighing all the things that me as a native person that I'm experiencing and how I can fold it into a program. You know, a lot of stuff doesn't make it in. And, and, and I got to admit, and I've told this to Reggie before, there's times that it's my drive into my studio here that I finally decide what I'm going to talk about. And this is unscripted. You know, I, I took a cue from a, from a guy that I really admired, a guy by the name of Bob Foss, who, who called his, uh, his show Radio Unnameable. He called it Freeform Radio. And that's what this is. I don't have a script. I got a couple of notes jotted down on a tablet here. Um, and you know, and even when I have a guest, I've been a guest on other shows where they will give me their narrative and they're going to, and they give me in advance the questions they're going to ask me and everything else. And, and that's okay. Um, but I know that once I start answering a question, we're going to go off, we're going to go off script because I don't have a script for my answers. And when I have a guest on the show, to me, I want to have a conversation. I don't want to have, you know, prepared statements. I'm not looking for sound bites. So this is what I'm going to continue to do in 2024. So uh, again, support these two radio stations, um, it, it, regardless of how you're you're catching the program. 
uh, and I would greatly appreciate it. We have a thing in, in New York called the Buddy Program. Uh, be a BAI buddy. And both stations have these sustaining member kind of uh, situations where you can call up and you can make a commitment to have um, either a credit card uh, charged each week or each month, I'm sorry, or your bank account charged each month. You know, it's kind of like a subscription fee, so to speak. Only you get to name what it is. So I encourage you to become a buddy. You can be a, I'm a BAI buddy or or a WPFW buddy. Uh, they don't call it that. But anyway, <laughs> I encourage you to do that and and support the, these stations. And, and of course, uh, in doing so, you support this program. All right, let me get on the subject. All right, everybody's talking about genocide. I see, you know, uh, post after post after post. My, my buddy Reggie. Reggie, you you weigh in on this on a regular basis. And I'm and I'm glad to see your post. You kind of sometimes stimulate the, a bit of the conversation, not just with me, but with others. I see a lot of native people that are are weighing in. I mean, I see some I see some some native people who I've never seen outspoken about our own condition, our own situations that are that are, you know, crying bloody murder because that's exactly what it is over what's happening in Gaza. And 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 I'm sorry, but I can't talk about Gaza without talking about what our experience was. I I just can't do it. It doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. I can't sit here you know, come on the radio and talk about genocide without explaining what genocide is and not what just gen. I mean, we're out there talking about killing people. I mean, to be clear, genocide is a made up term. It was made up in like in the, you know, the early 1900, I think when 1913, 1914, and there was a guy by the name of Carl Lemke or some, I think that's his name, Lemke that, uh, that developed the, the expression. And of course it's, it uses Greek words and, you know, and, to put a put a word again called genocide. Before it was called genocide, it was actually called denationalization. And what denationalization was was the idea of stripping away somebody's national character or their their cultural character and then imposing another character upon them. And, and of course that can be done in any number of ways. And it can be done by wiping out much of the population that we call ethnic cleansing today, right? That's the same thing. This idea of stripping away somebody's national character. But when they developed this term and they wanted to have this international definition of what genocide was, they brought it down to five um, acts of, uh, you know, um, covert acts, I guess, um, or overt acts, I should say, that could be perpetrated against the people. And every one of them, to qualify it as genocide, it has to be done with the intent of making the people cease to exist as the distinct people that they were. So, I mean, it, it doesn't mean you got to kill everybody. Murder and murdering people is, is one of those overt acts. That's one of the, of the acts that qualify as, uh, as, you know, as genocide. But again, it's the idea of killing people with the intention of eliminating them as a people. You know, look, we, we, we hear this, this word be used, especially with, uh, uh, in light of the Jewish Holocaust, but we, we also see this, when, anytime we've heard the word ethnic cleansing, sometimes we don't interchange this idea of ethnic cleansing and genocide, but essentially it is. And, we, and look, we've seen it in Chechnya, we've seen it in Darfur, we've seen it in Somalia, we've seen it in uh, uh, you know, the Sudan, we, we see it in a lot of places. Right now, there's a lot of people calling what's happening in, in the Gaza Strip, they're calling it genocide. But, but again, let me define genocide a little bit more specifically because it's not just the idea of killing people 
uh, or, or killing members of the of a group with the intent of making them disappear. It's also harming them physically, mentally, psychologically. I mean, to to inflict harm on a people with the intent of making them no longer exist as those people. So you, you inflict such such trauma on a people that they no longer exist as the people they once were. I mean, again, this this connects to this idea of, of ethnic cleansing and, and denationalization, but it's the idea of altering a people with the with the level of harm, the physical, mental, psychological, I mean, sexual abuse. I mean, and look, just to, just to clue you in, every time I'm talking about any of these issues, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking Native people, my people. I'm thinking massacres. I'm thinking about scalp bounties and when it comes to, to, to killing. I'm thinking about the abuse of our children, in, you know, not in, only in the wake of these massacres that, that our people experience, but residential schools. So when we're talking about harm, when we're talking about physical and psychological and sexual abuse, I'm then again, I'm thinking about the church-run residential schools that our people experience. Because there oftentimes is almost, I mean, especially in war, it's almost like sexual abuse is like, woke, it's baked into this idea of military aggression. I mean, it's, you, you almost have to dehumanize, I mean, to kill somebody, you have to de dehumanize them. So if you can dehumanize a, a people, you can do any number of things that you would normally not do. I mean, you're not going to do the same kind of activity when you go home. And if you do, you're going to have some major problems there. So when, you, when, you're, when you're not in a, in a wartime situation or in, in, one of these, in any one of these situations, when, when, you have, when you get thrown in or thrust into one of these situations where you can dehumanize a, a, a people, your behavior can be completely different than it would be if you were, if you were um, you know, back living in you know, your quaint little neighborhoods. So, I, I, and I think it's important that people realize, so even as, even as I talk about Gaza, I'm thinking about our history. So again, let me continue. So we have this idea of, of murdering with the intent to eliminate people, doing the physical harm. But then more broadly, the third, the third element or the third act is any, creating any type of conditions, creating the conditions that will, will, will cause the people to cease to exist. So that it could be starvation. Now that, you know, because that maybe that doesn't quite fit as murder. Maybe that doesn't quite fit somebody else's definition of, uh, you know, of, uh, you know, of uh, abuse or, or physical harm. But creating the conditions. So you starve people out. You, you deny them water. You deny them, you know, um, medicine. You deny, you know, any number of things. And, and that's, that's one of the ways that you, you create the conditions where, where people will cease to exist. So that's three. The fourth one, is taking children. And, you know, from a Native standpoint, the residential schools is just, you know, emblematic of this, this egregious act that, uh, you know, atrocity that, uh, that the United States and Canada, you know, Australia, places in Africa, South America, that they did to Native children. The idea of ripping them from their homes, from their families, from, from their, their, their Native speakers, from their, their culture, all that stuff. So taking the children. And... And then the, the fifth one is eliminating the ability to reproduce. So in any way, shape, or form, altering the re reproductive rights or conditions for people. 
from a native standpoint, they sterilized, they sterilized women. They, they, I mean, look, the United States did this through some of the eugenics programs and stuff like that. But specifically, as far as a race-based um, policy of ma- uh, creating the conditions where, where, where a, a, a young girl, a woman, could not have children. That was a U.S. policy, sterilization of Native women. And it wasn't just U.S. I mean, the same thing happened on the Canadian side. So when, when we talk about these things, and then you, can, then you okay, let's you know, say, okay, we can, we can give examples of this. And, and when we think from a Native standpoint, we always think, well, these are all the things that were, were done to Native people. And this is where I have a problem because as we look at things that are that are currently happening to uh, to the Palestinians in Gaza, we it's easy to get be outraged because we see that it's still happening. But from a native standpoint, all of those other things are still happening. They're, they're still happening to us too. They're just not quite as blatant. We, look, are they still killing us? Yes, yes. Missing and murdered indigenous women is is a thing. Creating conditions where even if you're not murdering us and we do die in death by cop at a higher rate than any other people in, in, most, in most of those, um, those age groups. We die in a de- in, in situation of death by cop at a higher rate. And, and I hate to say this because it sounds like I'm competing, but we die at a higher rate than black people. I, I think black males between 16 and 21, that's the only age group where black people, black men, boys, have a higher rate of death by cop for their, for their population. Now, we're talking about ratios here, percentages. We aren't talking about total numbers. I mean, look, if we talk about total numbers, white people die at the hands of cops more than anybody because there's more white people here. So, but in terms of a percentage of our population, it's usually neck and neck between black people and native people. I mean, and, and so, yeah, we're still dying. We're still being killed. We're still being killed in, in terms of missing and murdered indigenous women. This is still another example of, of that. We also have the highest suicide rate. So this kind of slides into the second war where we've been harmed so badly that we, that we, we cease to be the same people we were. And, and many people just totally check out and commit suicide. We have a higher highest suicide rate and overdose rate, the lowest um, life expectancy than anybody else in the United States. So, so yeah, they're still killing us. I mean, look, they aren't shooting us, you know, um, on a battlefield. They aren't shooting women and children like it, uh, you know, we just, we just went through the anniversary of the uh, massacre at Wounded Knee. And no, they aren't doing mass hangings of us like they did in Mankato in, in 1862, a week before Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation. No, they aren't killing us that way, but we're still dying. Now, again, it may not seem quite as heinous an act when you, when you have to redefine what it means to be killed, I guess, as what's happening in Gaza or, you know, or in the Sudan. Or, or any, or, so, I mean, when you see that level of violence, when you see bombs and, and, you know, and gunfire and, and that, you know, the, the direct, you know, that level of violence, you, you, it's easy to think, well, that's genocide. But you don't think about what else is genocide. Genocide, look, the final leg of, 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 a, of a successful genocide is when 
You get your own people to impose some of those conditions. When you're lining up to vote for the next people who are going to be passing the policies and administering the policies against you. That's the final leg of genocide. When they have conditioned you so much that you're, that you're enlisting in their armed forces, where you're committing genocide against other people. So when we think about genocide and we, we think about these five acts, we don't think about, well, where does it, when you're, when you're thinking about how you've created this condition that people cease to exist, well, what does that look like? Especially if those people, if the, if the individuals are still living, what are their lives like? And that, that's where I talk about suicide and drugs and you know substance abuse and listing in the armed forces, going to their churches, praying to their gods. That's that's the final. I mean, look, that's the final chapter of a successful genocide, or and not even. And I don't want to say a complete genocide because even as our people are running for Congress and senators and being appointed in the president's cabinet or, uh, or receiving judgeships in the U.S. judicial system. There are many of us who aren't. But, you know, and, and, and I got to ask the question. Where are those people? Where's Deb Haaland? Where's her voice on what's happening in Gaza? Because I don't know any Native people who are justifying what the United States is doing in terms of supporting Israel in the murdering of, of, uh, of Palestinians. I don't know any Native people that are supporting. However, there are Native people who are serving on Congress, both on the right and left. There, there's Republicans and Democrats who, are, who are, who've been elected to the U.S. Congress. There are Native people in high positions, cabinet-level positions of, uh, of the, the current administration. Are they forbidden to talk? Or they can, can they simply not speak up because of where the environment that they're in? See, this is the problem that I have. So as I go across social media and I see the activist community raising hell about what's happening in Gaza and still almost, and I always feel like we can't have that conversation about Palestinians if we don't liken it to our own situation. And, and again, because the stuff continues. And you see, and here's the other part of it. You know, the other issue that, that I have to address with this has to do with this notion of who is indigenous. Now, I mean, look, we're, we're called Indians and American Indians and Native Americans or indigenous peoples or, or whatever else. I use the word native as a more benign term because it doesn't have the same kind of political connotation that some of those other things do. We understand who, what people on Turtle Island are considered indigenous or native. However, we know there's plenty of white folks, you know, or, or, or descendants of the European colonizers who think, well, I've been here long enough that now I'm a Native American. My parents came here on the Mayflower, or grandparents' ancestors came on the Mayflower. So I'm, I'm a Native, I was born here, so I'm a Native American. So we get into this debate. Then we get into this idea of where are the or points of origin for the native population, for, for, the, for, for, for the Mohawks, the Gunyagahaga, for the Senecas, the Onundawaga. Where, where, do they, where do they come from? And then ultimately, you end up having people try to say, well, we came, we came from Europe and Asia too. So is there really an indigenous population here? And I bring this up because 
I've had a couple of conversations, and 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 look, people who are who I'm fond of that that I engage with on on social media. I can't help but see the Jewish population in Israel and note how white they are. Now, I'm not saying every Jewish person is white. I'm not. I mean, look, I know there are Jewish people from, from Africa, and I know there are Jewish people who are from, from the area. But if you look at the demographics of, of Israel and the citizenship of Israel, and let's face it, not every Palestinian, you know, all, some of them are considered citizens. I, I don't know what the criterion is, but... They would be called, uh, John, uh, is, uh, Israeli Arabs. Yeah, but when I look at the demographics... That's how they though, describe them. But, but it's still not yeah. necessarily um, citizens. I mean, some are and some aren't, right? No, There's a lot of Palestinians no, who aren't. I'm just, right. So... I I'm, I'm at, just helping clarify for you. Well, it doesn't ever get clarified, so we're we're gonna no, try to clarify. But really. but, <laughs> but if you look at the at the demographics of Israel citizenry, 74, 73 to seventy four percent of the people who are considered Israel Israeli citizens are Jewish, of 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 any background. They're they're, they're they are considered Jewish, and and I guess that's both an ethnicity and a faith. So, I mean, it gets, it gets, even that gets a little blurry, right? So 73% of the citizens of Israel are Jewish. But I, I tried to look that up and break that down a little bit. And, and what I came up with was they suggest that of the Jewish people in Israel, 44% of them have grandparents that were born in Israel. So, this is where we get into the conversation. Well, are Jewish people Middle Eastern? Are, are they from there? Because that's the whole claim for Israel to exist in the first place, right? That it was theirs. It, it was their promised land. But I look at these, that, at this point, I mean, if you look at their, their cabinet, their parliament, their, you know, their, uh, their government, it's white folks. I'm not saying there's nobody of color, but I'm just saying it's predominantly white, white folks. White people come from Europe for the most part. You know, I'm not saying they all came directly from Europe, but so when you look at that, again, let me talk about that population again, 44% of the Jewish population in Israel have a grandparent who was born in Israel. Most of them are only second or, or first or second generation. So their grandparents were only there. It was, was born there, but they're only first or second generation. So that means they're probably still predominantly, or not probably, there's no question. Even the, even the, the, the Jewish people who are born there are still of European descent. It is really hard to find proper numbers that would suggest how many Middle Eastern people, I mean ancestry here, not, I'm not even talking about ethnicity here or, or, or belief or culture, I mean ancestry, how many Jewish people are of mid, mid, Middle Eastern descent. I don't mean just born there a generation ago. That, we just, that's why I talked about the American thing, right? That's why I talk about Jim Bob saying, well, I've, I've been born here, so I'm a Native American. I was born here. My grandma was born here. You know, and, and in fact, my, my great-grandma was a Cherokee princess. Yeah, we got to do that one too, right? <laughs> so... <laughs> So, I mean, we get the argument. To, of course you had to add that. I had to throw it. Of course I, you had to I, add I, that. I, I of course you had to add that. So, <laughs> so the problem that I see is I look at Israel 
And it feels an awful lot like apartheid, uh, you know, Africa, South Africa. I mean, you, you got white people who are basically ruling everybody else. And, and look, and there's no question that this war against Hamas, which is, which is really killing Palestinians, children, women, doctors, nurses, reporters, journalists, everybody, it's driving, I heard, the, I think the numbers were, uh, on your own news said like 85% of the population has been displaced. Now, they may be displaced from one area of Gaza to another, but they're pretty much displaced. And for the most part, many of them are being chased right off of the lands. So there is a displacement. There is, I mean, there is murder. There is injury. There is harm. There, um, children are being murdered here. And children are, you know, are being evacuated, which is still the forced removal of children. And on the childbirth thing, maternity wards are being bombed by, by Israel. There are, there are babies, infants dying in hospitals. So the idea of reproductive rights isn't just about toddlers. It isn't just about young, you know, you know kids, to, you know, children. It's about infants who are not going to survive infancy because of this. So, yes, what's happening in Gaza is genocide. And I can speak to that with some authority, not because I went through the Jewish Holocaust, which was a couple of years old, it lasted a few years. I'm speaking because I'm native. And my people have been enduring a genocide for 500 freaking years. And it continues today. I mean, I, I give an example. Even a simple thing like explaining to a, let's say a U.S. congressman, who I am. And they said, but do you, li do you live in my, in my district? And I said, no, I live on a native territory. But is your native territory in my district? No, no native territories are in your district. Now, some people would argue that they are. I said, no, I live on the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. They said, oh, yeah, well, that's in my district. Well, one, uh, on, on the south side of the river, that's in my district, or on the north side of the, of the Cattaraugus Creek, that's a, I said, no, it's not. I said, I'm not calling you as a member of your constituency. I'm calling you because you guys are adopting policies that are impacting us. So, I mean, just the idea that I have to have a half-hour conversation with an elected official just to explain that I'm not one of his constituents is a, is a part. This is the confusion, right? Are Native people Americans? Well, I mean, are we, are we going to be defined by a word that came in after our existence that has already been here for 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 years, 100,000 years? So are we U.S. citizens? Well, I guess if we want to be, we can. But to declare, like in 1924, when the United States did it, after the word uh, genocide was already invented, by the way, 1924, they declared all Native people are U.S. citizens. In 1924, this was passed through the House and through the Senate. It was called the Snyder Act or the Indian Citizenship Act. So they just so they just declared that we were citizens. They didn't ask us if we wanted to be. Most people didn't even know. Most Native people weren't even aware because look, we we live in an age of information now, right? But can you imagine 1924? They passed this, and then draft notices start coming out. Because of the conflicts, you know, uh, in, in World War II, Native people getting a draft notice? What do you mean? You can't send me a draft notice. I, you can't draft me. And this would continue through the Vietnam era. 
Today, an 18-year-old boy born in the United States being deemed or characterized or, or, or classified as a U.S. citizen is supposed to register for the draft today. I, I was born in 1959, the very end of 1959. Uh, so draft this idea of draft registration started for, for the kids that I grew up with who were born after January. 1960, you were born in 1960 is when regist draft registration was picked back up again. It, it, it ended after Vietnam. But if you were born in 1960 and turned 18 years old, you were supposed to enlist, or, or I'm sorry, register. So I, I was like born 10 days too early to even pick up, the, to have the fight. <laughs> but I've had children and I've got grandchildren. So we're going to see what happens with the grandchildren. But my son didn't register. And it, why? Because we're native. You can't, and you can't force this conscription upon us. But they still try. See, this is, this is kind of my point here. See, everybody thinks that everything was done in the past. Look, I talked about Killers of the Flower Moon and this idea that, that the, these Native people could be treated as incompetence. So they couldn't even have access to their own money, right? That's what the film really lays out pretty clearly. And if you watch the film, you'd be outraged by it. But I'm the only person that I've heard so far, and I hope other, a chorus of other Native people step up and say, when they pass the Indian... Uh, the, the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act in, in 1989, it was the same damn thing. They basically said, you're too incompetent or untrustworthy or sophisticated enough to run your own gaming. So we're going to make the states co-regulate with you. You're gonna, and you're gonna, we're going to pass a law that says you have to enter into a gaming compact with the state of New York because they're going to have the authority to regulate your gaming. I mean, that's, that's not a whole lot different than the guardianship situation that was created in, in Osage to manage the Osage monies for the, um, for the Osage. And it's the same kind of thing because the, the amount of, you know, graft that took place. I mean, you got Kathy Hochul, you know, pu pulling 50% of the gaming revenue out of the, the Senecas. So this thing, all these things that people think happened in the past, and, and, and they don't think that it's still continuing. It does still continue. So this is why it's hard for me to dedicate a show. Because look, a lot of people are talking about Palestine. A lot of people are talking about Gaza. And, and I can't have that conversation unless I liken it to our situation. That is still continuing. We're at a different, look, we're at a different place on that timeline of a genocide, on, on the success or failure of a genocide. And it's not to say that Palestinians haven't been enduring this thing for decades because they certainly have. I mean, 70 years. I mean, that's a long time, but it ain't 500, folks. It's not five centuries. And that's what our experience is. So, yes, I absolutely support Palestinians in, in, in their struggle to assert their right to be there. Because, you know, again, let's... It doesn't take a rocket scientist to dig up what, um, what Netanyahu's position has been towards Palestinians. He didn't think they have the right to be there. And everybody is so quick to say, oh, there are countries in the Middle East who don't think Israel has a right to exist. Well, Israel doesn't think Palestinians have a right to exist. And they've said it. He specifically has said it. And, you know, so 
it's, it's almost impossible not to have this conversation. But here's the thing. For all of this conversation, I'm still amazed that people think well, they're going to they're gonna somehow stop the United States from supporting Israel. The United States, they invented this game. They perfected genocide in a way that no other country ever, ever has, including Nazi Germany. Because they can do it and everybody looks the other way. They, they invaded, illegally occupied the kingdom of Hawaii and took it. And the rest of the world just looked the other way. And that's after several, that's after two centuries of, of the United States doing it to native people on this continent before they started venturing off farther. That's. And don't forget. Go ahead. Yeah, go, and go, don't go, forget, go ahead. Yeah. Don't forget, John, add on to what everything that you have just said is that it was this country that garnered the inspiration of a place like Germany, you know, of a place like South Africa, because they were inspired by the apartheid system that happened in that is presently happening in occupied uh, Palestine, as well as South Africa was inspired through the Jim Crow system that was happening in the South. The entire so the thing division, is, the, hot, the entire yeah. slicing and dicing of Africa, the United States was at that table. Look, right. none, none, of those, none of those countries were U.S. colonies necessarily, but United States had, had perfected the system. And so they were at the table with all of the other countries, Italy and, and, uh, and France and uh, Great Britain, you know, Spain, mm -hmm. all of the other countries that were that were carving up their little pieces of Africa so they could establish their, their, their you know, colonial enterprises there. The United States was at the table. So, yes, the United States has, has done what they've done to Native people here. They've had their hands, even as other countries were doing it in, in South America, in, in the South Pacific, the United States was right there with them. And oftentimes displaced them a little bit. The whole Spanish-American War, that was about the United States displacing Spain as the colonizer in several other uh, territories, the, the Philippines and, uh, uh, and, 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 and every place else. I mean, this, I mean, Cuba, Puerto Rico, all of this stuff. I mean, so anybody who is sitting here outraged or, or in any way, shape, or form surprised that the United States is funding Israel's genocide? <laughs> It's not Israel's genocide. It's still the United States' genocide. It's a still a part of what they're doing. And they're going to sell those soda stream machines here in the United States. <laughs> they're going to sell all of these, these Israeli products. I mean, uh, and I mean, there's still, I mean, there are still stipulations about what a company in the United States can do with Ireland. Today, there's still laws on the book, books that... that that have companies that have any kind of government contracting that have to attest that they are somehow funding the, the IRA, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, this is the, I mean, this is the world that we live in, but you know what? And here's what I have to say to the rest of the world. If you ignore the, what the United States did to us, 
Of course you're going to ignore what they're doing to uh, what what Israel's doing to to Gaza. And 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 look, and even the activist communities that are out there. Look, I'm all for standing with Palestine. But you should have been standing with us too. And you still should be. You still should understand the things that I talk about on a weekly basis here. You've got to understand what the reason you know I fight against the identity theft associated with the mascot issue. I mean, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna really break off to an aside here because here I'm talking about all of this, and, and I I can't help I gotta at least bring it up. I haven't done a a post necessarily. I've, I had some comments, but I haven't really talked about this. Marvel Comics introduced a native superhero last week or the week before. Gohori. That's her name. Gohori. Gohori. She is Mohawk speaking. And they did this on the Disney Plus channel. They have a a segment, a Marvel um, animated segment called um, What If? And they based this storyline on what if this thing called the Tesseract, if you're not a Marvel fan, you don't, don't know what I'm talking about. But it's, a, it's, it's this, kind of this what-if situation if somehow there was a power that was bestowed on the Mohawks to resist colonialism. But even in doing that story, and of course this fits in with their, a lot of their, what they call the multiverse and you know, parallel universes and all the other stuff. But here's the crazy part about that story. And, and, it's, and it irks me. Even as I hear Native people supporting this, because look, to watch a, a, an animated program with Native people speaking the Mohawk language so vibrantly, I was, I was intrigued by it. But here's the problem. The antagonist in, that, in what, what takes place in this series is Spain. We didn't, our conflict wasn't with Spain. Spain was in the Caribbean. It was in the southern part of what is considered North America. But Spanish ships never came to Mohawk territory. Okay, let me just say that. And yet it's this. And they got the Spanish looking for the fountain of youth in Mohawk territory. Of course, they even kind of got Mohawk territory in the wrong place on on the globe. So my point is, why do that? Why change... And they said, well, you have to understand, we're talking about parallel universes. In, in a parallel universe, it could have been the Mohawks fighting against the Spanish. But we did fight against the French. And to some extent, uh, with the Revolutionary War, and you know, some fought with, against the British, some fought with the British. I mean, but the French, we clearly had an antagonistic relationship with the French. Some people will say today that North America speaks English because the Mohawks pushed back the, the uh, pushed back the French. It was the Mohawks determined whether it would be English or, Fran- or French spoken in, the, in North America. I mean, that, that's it's been said. I'm not saying I say that, but it's been said. So, why change that part of the history? Look, if you're going to do a what if, what if we what, all of a sudden gain superpowers and we could fight our um, our colonizers? Why did you shift who the colon? Why did you make the villains in that Spanish speaking? Disney, Marvel. Why are the bad guys? I mean, you still have the Nazis being bad guys in a lot of these these Marvel comics. You still have Nazis being the bad guys. Why are the bad guys in Mohawk territory Spanish speaking? I mean, is there 
is there some kind of hidden agenda? I don't even know. I, I can't, I don't even make, it doesn't even make sense to me. So I'm sorry I had to do that aside. But th this gets into, again, to this identity issue. So even what some of our children, Native children, are, are, are you know, all the people in the Haudenosaunee are going to watch this. They're going to say, oh, that's awesome. They're speaking the language. But not enough of us questioned why they had the Spanish being the bad guys. Why are they the colonizers and not the real European country that was uh, that we were engaged in? I mean, the, in, I mean, they even called it the French, um, the French or the um, what do they call it? The French and Indian War. Is that what they called it? Yeah, I think they called it that. that. I mean, and it was really the French and the British that were fighting just uh, and the colonists that were fighting. But it was about how they. Some were the Hurons were fighting alongside the French and the, and the Mohawks were fighting alongside the colonists. I mean, but it was the French who were our bad guys. And I, and I, so as I watch, this is just to me a lot like the mascot issue. You're going to reinvent and you're going to redetermine what that native identity is and who the bad guys are. And for some reason in the United States, in this Marvel series of comics, they're going to ignore English-speaking colonizers. They're going to ignore French-speaking colonizers, and they're going to suggest that it's that the <laughs> that the immigration problem is Spanish-speaking. Ooh, what a surprise! Right? Why am I surprised by that? I don't know, Reggie. I'm sure you haven't watched this, but if you do have Disney Plus, I wish somebody, I wish somebody uh, uh, would watch this thing. And, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I saw, no, I knew about what if was coming up, and I was looking forward to watching it just to see how they were approach it because you know I, I because in my past life, not only that I was a big comic book fan, but I was used to be a comic book dealer um, about thirty years ago, and so I'm always intrigued to see how adaptations of comic books are done, and so you intrigue me, sir. It's uh, you season two, episode me. six. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I, I, I'm looking forward to checking all of that out, and I'll give you your. I'll give you my input, uh, just like I'll give you eventually the input that I when I saw the movie of Killing Flowers the of the Moon. Killer yeah. Moon. Killers of Flower Moon. Yeah. Killers of Flower Moon. Right. Yeah. Well, and again, I, I still, you know, and I and I watched the episode a couple of times, and it still is intriguing to have. I mean, it's literally Mohawk language with English subtitles. And for those of us who have enough familiarity with the language to appreciate the, that Mohawk language is being spoken, and I'm not saying it's being spoken flawlessly. There's, there are some grammatical issues you know, that have been pointed out to me, but, but it's still the flow and to, to hear, I mean, because look, sometimes, sometimes when I hear a foreign language spoken, it sounds garbled to me. You know, and, and maybe that's true with everybody who hears foreign language. But to hear Mohawk spoken so cleanly and so clearly, it was, uh, it was intriguing. So that part of it I'm okay with. And, and they've got that same character, the Gahori character, showing up in, a, in, a, in an episode of, you know, later on in, in the in this season. But um, she's speaking English by that time, by the way. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I just had, I just had to bring it up because, it, because it's kind of an issue. But it gets, it gets down to, the, again... When we talk about genocide, it is about stripping away national character, altering history, and, 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 and doing so 
trying to change the future. That's what the, that's what Palestinians are going through in Gaza. It's what they no. It's what they're going through in Israel, in Palestine, in what was always Palestine before um, before there was this push by Europeans to assist in creating a Jewish state. Ironically, and I got to bring this up too. I said Jewish state. Isn't the United States supposed to be against theocracies? Isn't that what they claim? Isn't that they, they claim that there's a separation of church and state in the United States? Don't they condemn theocracies when it's, when it's Islam or Muslim? Don't they condemn the idea of a religious theocracy? Aren't there philosophers and, uh, you, know, um, you know, all of these, these, these people in academia condemning this notion of theocracy, but somehow a Jewish state is okay? How did that get passed? I mean, that's that's the question I've got. Well, <laughs> one thing I got to say is, look, I clearly jumped way up on my soapbox today, so I didn't I didn't provide uh, adequate time for callers. We will do that more next week. I think I'm on the schedule next week. We'll John, do that more it's next the week. beginning of the year. I think people would expect this. Yeah, and I and this may not be. Um, <laughs> You know, I've I listened to some of the previous program that was on WBAI today, and I, I know there wasn't a big caller response. So my, I might not have gotten a big caller response anyway. But I'm hoping uh, as people. I think, uh, <laughs> no, I, I was going to say, I, I think sometimes, John, you underestimate the crowd. And if we would have dropped the number at a certain time, there would be people that it, it has happened before. So, I, well, I'm if I if I got anybody's you, juices flowing yeah. this week. You're, we're going to have an opportunity to talk with uh, to call I'm, him next I'm, week. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that there are people chomping at the bit, but sometimes, you know, you, you go, you know, sometimes when you're going through your stream of consciousness, at times, you know, hey, who am I to stop you? Well, you know, I used to, I used to have a two-hour show, and I've had some people say it's a shame you don't have a two-hour show, so you can do an hour of your rants and then have a, an hour of conversation with callers. And I wish I had that. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying that it's a complaint, but I'm just saying it as an observation. Um, it's sometimes tough, and especially if I, if I have a guest, because there's when I have a guest, I know that I'm not going to have time to take calls. And but today, you know, look, I I had several people who support the program. Ask me to weigh in specifically on uh, on Palestine, on Gaza, on on what's happening, and you know, and look, the the primary thing, and I know that most people get it. The United States is behind this aggression, behind this genocide that Israel. I mean, and the crazy part is, you know, that Biden looks at, at Netanyahu like like a, a Jewish Trump. I mean, you know that he does. He knows that he's about as you know, a, a far right as anybody could be, and yet they're they're writing the checks, they're sending the they're sending the weapons. Well, and they and they have to watch not, their conversation, right? Right, but 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 also, John, let's not forget, it was Biden himself, numerous of times have quoted have been quoted by saying, "I am a Zionist. You don't have to be Jewish to be a Zionist." Well, and that's so, true. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 so the thing is, is that he's doing it for his own agenda. Maybe he is a Christian Zionist, which there, ironically enough, there's more Christian Zionists than there are Zionists who supposed to be under Judaism. So, and let's be clear, most of the colonists, uh, the colonialism that took place, you know, the, uh, the, that colonial period was pushed by Christians. 
It was all Absolutely. about Christian Zionism. Yep. There's no question yep. about it. Yep, yep, yep. And and so there's yep. no surprise that we see this level of Christian support for what Israel is doing to um and look, and I, I know I'm hearing people outspoken on this issue. And and I'm not and I've and I hear a lot of Jewish people outspoken on this issue. I mean, some of oh, the, yeah. the loudest voices I hear, and not just on WBAI either, but some of the loudest voices I hear condemning what Israel is doing to Palestinians is coming from Jewish voices. Yep. yep. And yeah, and I yep. look, look, I I know I already got blasted. I think I got blasted even on commenting on one of your Instagram threads. Your uh, somebody was telling me uh, anti-Semitic or something. I don't know. Oh, but, oh my goodness. Oh yeah, it happens. Hey, you know, it, it, you, you, you know, you're doing an impact when you're receiving multiple death threats now. <laughs> Yeah, it used to be it used to be the, the most egregious thing I ever did was make a school change its mascot. Now the idea of weighing uh, in on real life and uh, death situations, the ma- the nerve, right? <laughs> well, nerve. Reggie, I want to thank you for weighing in with me on this. I I knew that you and I have been, have been engaging on social media on this. Um and I don't think I should have I don't think I surprised anybody here. But you know, I think it's important that people understand and you can't look at this in a vacuum. We can't silo what's happening in Israel to Palestinians and not understand I, I, what's happened to other people elsewhere. And, and, and just to follow up what you're saying, John, I think that to have a better understanding of what's happening in Gaza, what's happening in occupied uh, Palestine is to have and internalize your own history. Yeah. Okay. And how is that relatable to the situation that's happening over there? In other words, it's all connected, just like the stuff that is happening in Congo, just like the stuff that is happening in Sudan, Sudan just like the yeah. stuff that's happening in, in Armenia. Those are places that you don't get a lot of here. You know, you hear a lot about that. But let us not mistaken, as you have just said, it is all connected. And they don't they don't frame it in the same in the same. And, and let's be honest here. Right. Native people, they didn't have the word terrorism or terrorists back then. But that's what we're, in fact, George Washington wanted to use the idea of terrorism. He, he suggested that the Senecas needed to know the level of their, the terror of their chastisement. I mean, he, he I mean, but we would have been called the terrorist. I mean, that, that's never been that much of a label stuck on Native people, although we've, we've heard it some as the warrior society movement and the sovereignty movement be, it grew in our territory, so... Look, I know we're out of time. Reggie, I want to thank you. Um, I want to thank you for listening to uh, your audience. Um, please support WBAI and WPFW, and um, we'll take some calls next week, and we'll, we'll let some of you guys beat me up if you want to or, or sing along, but uh, we'll, we'll do that next week. <laughs> Thanks, Reggie. It's always, it's always a pleasure. And again, always a venture, sir. Happy New Year. <laughs> happy New Year. Get ready for 2024. Yeah, it's here. All right. <laughs> See you next week. Yahweh.